If you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, we've been doing a series on, on how God has made us a, a spirit who lives in a body, has a soul. And we need to understand this. This is foundation. This is so fundamental to how you relate to each other as husband and wives, how you relate to your children. You need to know this. You need to know which part of us is acting out. Uh, we've had a vision and, and have had it prophesied different times confirmed that this church is to minister to our community, uh, helping people with fear and depression and anxiety and and ministering to people's bodies, bringing health and healing. And I know that's your heart. I know that's your passion. But you can't really minister effectively without understanding which part is, is doing what. You have to understand how we're made. And it's so fundamental to, to healing. There's a, a healing that can happen on a soulish level. Uh, Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted so we know people's hearts can be broken. We know that people are bruised. We know, that, uh, we know that we have a flesh that can never be healed, and he's always demanding attention. And, and so you need to understand, you need to be able to discern yourself. You need to be able to discern other people as to what part of them is doing what. And uh, so we've been working on this for a number of weeks, and this is the last of it for a little bit. We're going to move into uh, application, uh, how to apply this. And so if you go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We need to understand what that means, especially if we're struggling with our, our flesh, that fallen nature that we have has its, own, has its own desires. That's what lust is. Lust is basically longing for something that's forbidden. That's the definition of lust. And it's always longing for that which is forbidden, which God's word says we're not to have. So we have to understand that. He says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's some hope in that for us if we'll understand it. Why don't you even pray and say, Lord, show me what this means. Show me what it is to walk in the spirit so I can deal effectively with the lust of my flesh. He's writing the Christians. So the Christians are dealing with this just like anyone else in the world. He says, for the flesh, that fallen nature, the old man, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you not do the things that you wish. So there's a war, a conflict, there's enmity between these two parts of us. That war is constant in our souls. That's what we've been trying to establish. Look at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then it goes on to list the works of the flesh, which we'll cover here briefly in a minute. But it says if you're led by the Spirit, um, there's this verse, then there's another verse in, in Romans chapter 12. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. It talks about being led by the Spirit. It's not talking about guidance. It's not talking about what kind of car to buy or where to live or what kind of job to get. It's not talking about being led in terms of guidance. It's, it's talking about being driven from the inside, being compelled. And so uh, if we're being influenced by the Spirit, we're not under the law. And so we need to learn how to follow 
the heart of Jesus inside of us. The, the spirit we're talking about here is not the baptism of spirit. It's the spirit of Christ. And he beats within us. He longs for certain things. He longs to please the Father. And we need to follow his beating, follow his heart, his inclination. So if we're led by the spirit, that means we're actually allowing Jesus to drive we're allowing Jesus to have control of our lives. We need to know how to be led by the Spirit in the, in the, in the most fundamental way. He gets into this next part. He's talking about the works of the flesh. And he describes the works of the flesh as, uh, as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in, in times past, that those who practice such things, practice such things, do not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes into the fruit of the Spirit. So the context, uh, we're going to spend most of our time talking about the fruit of the Spirit this morning. The context is about two natures that are at work with inside of you and, and are work inside of your littlest, littlest child. And you'll see both of these natures expressed. And um, if the devil was bound for a thousand years and was no longer allowed to work in the earth, all these things, murders and dissensions and witchcraft, all of that would continue because it comes out of our fallen nature comes out of our flesh. And we have to understand that. We have to understand when we read the newspaper, we have to understand why people do what they do, where it comes from. And if you yield to your flesh long enough, the enemy can hijack that and take it to degrees that are unimaginable. Oftentimes, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, look at verse 22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is often in contrast to the gifts of the Spirit. And it's almost, like a, it's almost like a homely child being compared to a child that's just really uh, dramatic and bright and really out there, very, very attractive child, uh, as the gifts of the Spirit often have that attractive quality. And the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is kind of like the homely daughter or the homely sister. It's not that way at all. It's more... more uh, the good child within us versus the bad child within us. That's a better contrast. That's the context of it. So the, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is not the gifts of the Spirit. The opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is the works of the flesh. And this is stuff that you and I deal with every day. We deal with this all the time. It's part of our lives. We, we need to understand it. So let's take some time together today and let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And again, the fruit of the Spirit is not the Holy Ghost where you get the baptism of Spirit. Uh, it's not that experience at all. That's, that's something we want you to have and you can have. This is, this is something that comes when you're born again. It comes when Jesus, who is a Spirit, God, who is a Spirit, comes and lives inside of us. And their nature, we're talking about two different natures here, a fallen nature and a new nature. That's the contrast. And the nature of Christ with inside of you, and everything that lives here is Jesus. 
It's who he is. It's how he is, how he lives. And we need to let him beat his life through us. We need to let him, his heart be beating in our heart. And if we follow his lead, and he always prompts, he always desires, he always wants, so it's his inclination within inside of us. Notice, for example, it's talking about the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit. He's not talking about the works of the works of the spirit. It's not something you can do. You can't grow a grape. You don't have the ability within yourself to grow any spiritual thing. It's Jesus inside of us who grows these these qualities, this nature. It's him. It's the it's the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. Now the flesh, you can do those things. You can you can act out those things. But it's the fruit. It's, it's what's produced by the Spirit of Christ within inside of us. So let's take some time together this morning and look at the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things we're shooting for. These are the things we want to see in our marriages. These are the things we want to see in our kids. So this is what we're shooting for. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. We sang quite a bit about that today. Faithfulness, we sang about that today. Gentleness or meekness. Self-control. Against such there is no law. And it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and the passions of, and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So, He's talking about a nature that's inside of us. So let's take some time together today and let's break these down. Let's do it in pieces. When it's talking about love, verse 22, love is the fruit of the Spirit. It's talking about agape love. And, and the Bible says that God is love and God is the Spirit. God is love. And so you can't produce the kind of love that you need to be able to relate to other people. There's times you have romantic love and you have a, a, a mental love, a mental idea, a romantic idea, and, and that will fade and that will go, that'll take some serious hits as you get married. But then, then there's a, the spirit of Christ inside of us who can love our partners through us. And we need to yield to that. And there's times that romantic love will take a, take a nosedive. It just won't be present. And all your feelings your natural feelings of love just won't be there. But you can turn to the Lord and you can actually love the most unlovable person. You can love, you can love under the most un unlovable circumstances. So this kind of love isn't driven by the weather. It's not driven by uh, how, nice the person, how nice the person is treating you. You can actually commit to it. You can decide to let the Spirit of Christ love through you. There's times that your head will be a wreck. Your head will be all over the place. There's times when your flesh will be hurt and his feelings and his pride and his uh, sense, sense of uh, self, that sense of self has all been out of shape. But then all of a sudden you feel something of Jesus inside of you beating and, the, and you have a choice in any, any given situation to allow his heart to have its way inside of you or allow your old man, your old nature to have its way inside of you. And if you, if you watch, when I see marriages start to spiral down and they're starting to 
get completely out of control and they start hating each other, they start doing dirty tricks on each other, they start, they start showing up yeah, in, in acute selfishness. We know which part of them is beating. We know which part of them they're yielding to. We know which part of them is winning, which part of them is having their way. Love won't do those kinds of things. Love, love uh, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. And so there's something about the heart of Jesus which is selfless, that cares about other people above itself. And so we need to let this love be in our hearts. We need to let it come out in our relationships. And he says there's joy. Joy, joy is not this uh, uh, gleeful, uh, big smiley face all the time kind of expression. Uh, joy is a calm delight. If you look it up in a Greek dictionary, it'll say calm delight. There's times when your head's a mess. It's, it's confused. You don't know what's up. You don't know what's down. There's times when your flesh is raging, wanting vengeance, wanting to get even with what people have done to him. And then you look inside your heart. You look inside your spirit, and there's this calm delight that's unruffled. And that's what you go with. And you realize, you know, my head's all over the place. I'm, 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 my mind's going in circles. My flesh is demanding its way. But I sense something, this solid chunk of calm delight. That's joy. Someone said one time, they said, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade my joy for all the happiness in the world. Because there's a difference. Your happiness may have taken some hits but you stop and you look inside yourself and you say, wait a minute, my spirit, my spirit, there's a song in my heart. There's this calm delight. That's not you. That's, that's Christ in your spirit. And you can actually say, my head doesn't understand what's happening, but I'm going to go with my heart. I'm going to go with my heart. My heart's steady. My heart has this calm, steady pleasure working inside it. Jesus had this. Jesus on the cross and everything that's going on, if you can imagine all the things that he suffered, he's stripped naked, he's uh, crucifixion was to, was to punish someone with shame more than pain. I mean, pain was all part of that, but it was to publicly put them out there naked with a, a plaque that would say what their sin is, to put it out there publicly. Jesus endured that, and here's what he said. It says this in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, Jesus could compartmentize his life and say, There's pain, there's shame, but I've got this solid joy inside of me. And that joy, that joy allowed him to endure all kinds of hardship. That, that joy was seeing you Worshiping the Father. He set that before him and allowed him to endure something that was so painful and so shameful, but he, he experienced joy in a, in a part of him. Peace. Next one is peace. This is heart rest, not head rest. Your head can be confused. Your head can be... Uh, in, in the turmoil because of the war that's going on inside of you. Your flesh could be all bent out of shape. It could be hurt. It could be angry. Your, your flesh is completely prideful. 
It's demanding vengeance. They embarrass me. I want to embarrass them back. And he's railing. He's the one. Your flesh is the one that wants to divorce from everybody, wants to divorce from your relationships, your uh, childhood friendships, your church. It's your flesh. He's divisive. We read it. We just read that. He's always divisive. But then there's this heart rest, which you can experience. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He's in charge of peace. He has peace to give us. You can't produce peace. I mean, if you could produce, you know, when you go to, these, when you go to the hospital, they, they often these days will give you a self-medicator so that the nurse doesn't have to come and pump you up full of uh, medication, pain, pain medication. Can you imagine if you had your own pump for joy and peace? You'd be just pumping that thing all the time. I mean, you would just be addicted. I mean, you would be high as a kite. No matter what your circumstances was, you would just be pumping that thing. I mean, you'd be pumping it all the time. You can't produce it. You can't produce joy. You can't produce peace. You don't have any machinery, any capacity within yourself to produce peace. But the Prince of Peace, who comes and lives inside of our heart, if we turn to him, if we yield to him, you'll find that he's sitting inside of us just as peaceful. You could be in a storm. You could be in a, your circumstances, your finances could be a total train wreck. But there's this peace inside of you. And that's what you have to go with. That's what you have to subscribe to and say, "This, this is what I'm staying with. This is what I'm going to allow to rule and reign in my life. I'm saying no to the other stuff because I have peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said something very profound. He said this. He says, my peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world. See, the world's idea of peace is circumstantial peace. It's when the economy is great and politics is, is, is calm and nice. Like, when's that ever happen? It's like when everything in life is going your way and everything's going smooth. That's the, ideas, that's the world's idea of peace, is circumstantial peace. Here's what Jesus says. The peace I give to you is the peace I had on the cross. The peace I give to you is the peace when I went to my own church, my own synagogue, and I read them the scripture, and they got so angry at me. They took me out to the edge of the cliff to throw me off in the garbage dump. He had peace. When he's being lied about, when he's being uh, rejected and spoken against, people saying he, he loved women, he loved wine, he had peace. He just kept doing what pleased the Father. He just had this peace that just kept one foot in front of the other. That's why it's talking about, if you look at the language, it's a walk. It's a walk. It's not a once and for all kind of chunk of peace that now that you have it, you never lose it. It's a walk. We need to walk in the Spirit. It's a step-by-step kind of thing. The peace that Jesus had when his disciples left him. The peace that Jesus had when the authorities of his own denomination tried to kill him. He had peace. And he says, now, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. How many want that kind of peace? 
mean, that's worth everything. That's worth everything. You can't generate it, but you can yield to it. You can let it rule. You can let it reign. You can say, I, I, I know what's in me. I'm going to go with that rather than what's going on in my head, or my flesh. Now, the next one is long-suffering. We don't use this word in English very much, and we don't use it every day, long-suffering. Um, it's uh, often translated, uh, um, sorry, uh, patience. Patience in the Bible almost always has to do with circumstances. Long-suffering almost always has to do with people. So in our relationships, and people are acting out, and they're doing all kinds of stuff, and you can actually suffer long, long-suffering. You actually endure it. You don't, you don't say, that's the, end of the, that's the end of our relationship. That's the end of our marriage. Long-suffering comes to bear when everything else is going wrong. Long-suffering is when you endure and you bear up when everything's going wrong in the lives of other people, your relationship, your workplace. We need long-suffering. Long-suffering is a powerful, powerful tool. It'll keep you going when nothing else will. Long-suffering. We need tolerance. Then it says goodness. Goodness is the next one. And this is, um, this is when we treat people not as they deserve or not as the way they're treating us, but we actually treat them with goodness. Aren't you glad God does this? We treat them in a good way no matter how they're treating us, no matter whether they deserve it. It's goodness plus nothing. It's just goodness, straight up goodness. It's being kind. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 4, it's describing love, and it says, uh, love, is, love suffers long and is kind. And, and when, I, when I link those two things together, kind of like where I'm at most of the time, is people will do things to me or reject me or lie about me or hurt me, and long-suffering kicks in. It's Jesus inside of me saying, just stay with this. Just don't react. To have long-suffering where I just tolerate their bad behavior, that's a win. Because what I would normally do if I yielded to my old man who's a redhead, who's feisty, he's, a, he, he's incredibly selfish, you know, you'd be punching their lights out. You'd be, you'd be uh, hurting them back. You'd be, you'd be using your words to punch them out. So at least I'm not yielding to my flesh. That's a huge win for me. I grew up with five brothers. We knew how to fight. We knew how to, we knew how to hurt each other. We knew how to say things that would bring the other person down. I grew up in that whole environment. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I grew up with cousins and, 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 and brothers who are always trying to bring each other down. So just that I don't, the fact that I don't yield to my flesh, that's a huge win for me. Then I kick in long-suffering by yielding to Jesus. Now I'm really doing something. This is totally out of nature for me. This is totally different from the way I was raised. And then when it says, uh, and is kind, that means you actually do something good while you're long-suffering. That's, that's way out of my nature. It's one thing for me to withhold harm from you, but to actually do good to you while I'm enduring you that's like, that's like someone's really treating you badly and you make them a cup of tea. You share your muffin. You bake them a cake. 
It, it's not just withholding good, withholding bad things from them. It's actually doing good while you're enduring their nastiness. Try that sometime. Try that during your work week. Try that somewhere on the job. Or when you're having a fight with your wife or your husband. And Heather and I, believe it or not, we fight. We have, we have all kinds of stuff that happens, just like you. I'm glad it's not videotaped. I feel bad for these celebrities where everything in their life is videotaped. That would be horrible. But I'm, to, to actually follow Jesus inside me, he'll not only endure their bad behavior, he'll find a way to do something good to them while you're enduring the process. I told my uh, church that up north that I had for many, many years, I said, if you don't like somebody, bake them a cake. Well, that week I got about 30 cakes. <laughs> and what really bugged me, I mean, really got me to think is, we only had 20 families in the church, so do the math on that. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Next one is faithfulness. Faithfulness is stick to itness. Faithfulness is what we need in our marriages. Faithfulness is what we need in our friendships. Faithfulness is what we need in church. Faithfulness only kicks in when everything's going wrong. I mean, any, anybody can be faithful. It takes no grace, no yieldedness to the Spirit of Christ to be faithful when everything's going your way, when everything's just humming along nicely and everything's sweet and everything's, everything's together and it's all working. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the honest truth. This church, as good as I believe it is, will hit some pockets of stuff where faithfulness will be required of you. Where you're going to have to stop and say, oh, this isn't the same old church. This isn't, this isn't as nice as what it's been. Stuff is happening. It's changing. There's things. It's, it's going through a dry time. It's going through a difficult time. Faithfulness is only required, only is useful, only shows up when you really need it. Men, we need to be faithful to our families. Wives, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful to our vows and commit to this thing. And that's why we get people to say from the beginning. We don't say it because they feel it. We're saying, you're going to need this at some point in time where it's for better, for worse. It's sickness and health. That's when faithfulness kicks in. That's when it shows up the brightest. Next one is called gentleness. And uh, some translations translated as meekness, humility. We don't have to force our own way. We don't have to bully to get our own way. We don't have to demand. We don't have to force anything. There's a thing called meekness. We don't use that word very much. But I'll tell you something I've learned about my father in heaven is he's incredibly meek. He can do anything. I mean, he calls lightning by name, and they say, yes, sir, here we are. He calls, he calls angels, and, and he can breathe them into existence, and calls them and sends them off. He marks off the heaven with the span of his hand. He measured all the dust of the earth in a bucket. I mean, he is big. He is mighty. But even though he can do everything, he's incredibly meek. So that means he allows us to be involved with him, co-laboring with him, partnering with him, working with him. 
Have you ever worked with someone, maybe when you're just getting trained on a job, who really knew what they're doing and was really capable, and you weren't, you didn't know what button to push, you didn't know what string to pull, you didn't know anything at all. You didn't know how it worked. You can see what meekness in them when they just tolerate you learning, they tolerate you making mistakes, and they just know you're going to come along. That's the way the Father is. When the person pushes you out of the way and say, you don't know what you're doing, let me do it, and, and, and I'll do it right, there's no meekness. There's no gentleness in that. Meekness is a, is a beautiful fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful part of the nature of God. And he wants it in you. He wants it in your family. He wants it to shine through you. He wants gentleness to prevail. He wants, in a, in a time when, when it's, it's a, a rarity, a rare commodity in our society, in our culture, gentleness, powerful, powerful thing. Self-control. Everything that we listed about the works of the flesh requires selfishness. Every one of those things has a degree of selfishness. It comes out of our selfish nature. Jesus said we need to deny our self. That's selfish nature. That's our fallen nature. We don't have much in the way of a natural ability. Just to, I mean, people can bring out legalism to try to control nature. They can bring out rule keeping. They can bring out a list of rules beyond the Bible. They can try to force it with the threat of excommunication or the threat of you're going to go to hell if you don't conform. But there's something else that helps us say no to that fallen nature, that, that selfishness. And that's the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's Jesus inside of us that actually gives you the ability to say no without rule keeping, without laws, without a threat hanging over your head, a threat of punishment. God wants self-control to be beating inside of us. And it's not something that you have naturally. You can't be able to look someone and say, well, the reason I did I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I, I, I know how to do this, and so I did it. You just don't know what you're doing. It doesn't work that way. On your best day, you don't have much in the area of self-control. But if you yield to the spirit of Jesus, Jesus has temperance. Jesus has self-control. Can you picture Jesus walking through life for three and a half years with no self-control? No. He had such self-control, he says, I don't even say anything unless my father gives me the words to say. Talk about self-control. James, he caught hold of that. He says, you know, James is Jesus' natural brother. Can you imagine growing up in the same bedroom as Jesus? And he's always making his bed, and he, everything is perfect. Everything he just so he's got total self control, and you got chips all and ketchup all down your shirt. I mean, it, it it just it just would irk you. No wonder his brothers didn't like him. He had just total self control. You don't have that, except Jesus in you is beating self control if we obey. If we'll yield, if we'll say, I'm going to go with what he says, I'm going to go with what he's, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to follow the dictates of his heart beating inside of me. Then you can have self-control. How many wish they had more self-control? Yeah. How many wish you could produce it? I wish they could bottle it. I wish it came in the form of a pill. 
It doesn't. It comes from the Spirit of Christ. Let's finish up. Verse 23 says, Against such there is no law. You don't need a law to make any of these things happen. It's not, rule keeping is not going to produce any of the fruit of the Spirit. Against such there is no law. Against the works of the flesh, there's a law for every one of them, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. Now he's talking past tense. Notice he says that you have crucified. You have crucified. In a sense, all of, all of the works of the flesh have been taken care of in a once and for all kind of experience called the cross. And, and because of that, you've crucified your flesh and all of its passions, all of its desires. That's a one-time thing, and that did happen at the cross. But now for the rest of your life, it's applying what happened at the cross, circumstance by circumstance, decision by decision, choice by choice. It's applying what already has accomplished. It's not something that will happen. It's not something that will happen someday. It's already happened. The power to do this has already been given to you by the cross. You were actually crucified. You can't recall this because it happened by faith. But the Bible says you were actually crucified with Christ when he was crucified. And out of that death, we find life. And out of that death, we find power over our fallen nature and all of its dictates. Walking that out, becoming, listen now, becoming what we are, that's a choice. That's something we, that's something we all struggle with in our marriages and raising our kids in our work, our church. All of this, what he's talking about, has to apply to our, every part of our life. There's no exemptions. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen? Verse 26, it ends this way. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I think what that has to do with is you can't take credit. You can't take credit. You can't envy. You say, well, they're just so, they're just so meek. They're just so loving. And, and, they give, and, 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 I, and be envious of that. Or that you become puffed up and say, I'm the meekest person around. I've got the most love. Look how, what a loving Christian I am. You can't take credit for this. You can't produce a grape. You can't grow you. You can't change you. You can yield to the one who has the power to do that, but even that is by his grace. Even that is something. If you say, Lord, I can't, help me. He will. He'll do something that'll help you. You can't take credit for the fruit of the Spirit. But I've also learned that I'm not going to take blame for the lust of my flesh. That's not me. My, me, I'm, I'm born again. Me, I'm a spirit where Jesus lives. Me, that's not my heart. That is my flesh. I recognize his passions, his lust, his, his, his desire is all those evil things. I'm not going to take blame for that. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to own that. That's not me. That's my flesh. But I can't take credit for the fruit of the Spirit. I can't produce it. 
any good thing you see in me, if you've seen any examples, a MoMA, a flicker of long-suffering, of gentleness, if you've seen any kindness in me, if you've seen any time when I've been at peace, or there's been joy when everything else is going crazy, that's not me. I can't take credit for that. That's Jesus in me. He, rece- he deserves all the glory and all, all the praise. Amen? All I get to do is yield. All I get to do is let his life live through me. Amen? Let's stand together. There's a war in your soul. You're not alone. We're all in the same war. There's a fallen nature that beats. It's very alive inside of you. You're going to love it when you die. One of the most amazing things that happen when you die, the moment you die is that flesh falls to the ground and he's no longer speaking, he's no longer demanding, he's no longer lusting, he's no longer fighting, he's no longer arrogant. All that is ceased. All that dies. Aren't you, aren't you glad? Don't you look forward to that moment when it's over? The war, that part of us, that war is over. We're above temptation. We're free from the devil. We're free from his grip. No wonder we come into such an amazing peace. Let's bow our heads. Why don't we pray this way? Father, I haven't thanked you enough for Jesus living inside of me. Father, he's changed everything. He's given me options and behavior that I didn't have in myself. My marriage would have been ruined, my family, my relationships. I would have been a a, a wreck. Father, thank you for allowing Jesus to come live inside of me. I want him to live his life through me. Jesus, I want you to live in my marriage. I struggle. There's such a selfish part of me that wants my own way and just always wants to be served and always wants to be treated a certain way. God, if if I yielded to that, it would just wreck everything. I'm asking for a marriage where Jesus rules and reigns in me. Help me. Help me. Help me to get there. Help me to exercise forbearance in the relationships that are strained. Help me even go beyond that and be kind, be good. Father, help me. I want to be part of a church where the fruit of the Spirit can be seen. I've been parts of churches where there's been strife and envy and politics and division. God, I I don't want that. I don't want that for me, for my children, for this next generation. Lord, I, I ask that you'd help us to live in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit would prevail in our church. Lord, I want the fruit of the Spirit to impact every friendship I have. And Lord, I won't take credit for it, and I won't rub myself on my chest saying, look how good I am. I know it's not me. I know I can't do it. But I'm asking that you would do it through me, oh God, to your glory, to your honor. 
Let your goodness shine through me, O oh God. Let your peace, let your joy be my portion. When everything else around me is, is swirling, debris of life, but I, I would just want that calm, that joyful calm. Help me to tap into that, I pray. Let that be my portion. I want that. I want that in my life. Help me, Father. Help me. Help me to apply the cross and what you did so I can walk this thing out. Is that your prayer? Is that your heart? Say amen to him if that's really where you're at, if that expresses your desire. Help me to walk in the spirit, oh God. In Jesus' name.